0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, you know I never, not almost never, never tell show business stories on this program. Until today, when one seems sadly appropriate... I had worked with uh, Fred Willard for a number of years. The uh, comedy group I was part of toured with his comedy group in the early 1970s, which was the first time I realized just exactly how touched with the uh, crazy comedy genius he was. And then we worked together on a undeservedly obscure television program called Fernwood Tonight with Martin Mull. And I saw him take kind of second-rate written material and turn it into gold night after night. And, of course, movies. The He was the only... Uh, uh, the scene with Fred Willard at the Air Force Base was the only scene during the making of This Is Spinal Tap when uh, my colleagues and I had serious trouble not laughing during the filming. Which led to this moment in another movie, a Christopher Guest movie called For Your Consideration. I was a, uh, I was playing... I may have also been, but I was playing a hack actor who suddenly seemed to be uh, rumored to be award-nominated, improbably enough. And he was going to be interviewed... By the host of an Entertainment Tonight type program, uh, we were on director's chairs outside uh, in the uh, lot of a uh, an old studio in Culver City, California, old movie studio. And the interviewer, supposedly a Entertainment Tonight type host, was Fred Willard. Christopher Guest had never ever given me any direction in uh, any project we'd been part of but he did in this case we, was, we were walking over to the set where the uh, interview was and it again these movies were entirely inter- improvised and he was walking me over to the set and he puts an arm around my shoulder and probably enough and he has only three words of direction for me don't even try Hello, welcome to the show.
2: Get up off your arms, get down from your perch, T-shirts are for sale, load up on some merch. the
1: Hey everybody, beautiful day for a simulated baseball game in an empty ballpark. Crowd sure seems to be loving it, because they're not really here. In case you think this is just me playing around, it's not. It's the wave of the near few, oh, fouled that one right off. A wave of the near future, I say. And not just in the hands of idiots like me, but in the hands of idiots like Fox Sports. During an interview on uh, XM, serious XM, not the funny XM, Fox Sports broadcaster Joe Buck says the network might... Might? Ooh. Might pump in crowd noise... Ooh, fastball right down the middle. And project virtual fans in empty stadiums during their broadcast. That's according to the Sports Business Journal. It's pretty much a done deal, says Buck. Well, then it doesn't really mean might, does he? I think who. This is quoting Buck. I think whoever is going to be at that control is going to have to be really good at their job. Be realistic with how a crowd would react depending on what just happened on the field. You know, like this. Ooh! Wow. Deep fly ball. Right into the mitts. So it's really important, he says. And then on top of that, they're looking at ways to put virtual fans in the stands. They're looking at ways to put virtual fans in the stands so when you see a wide shot, it looks like the stadium is jam packed and in fact it'll be empty. That's Fox Sports. Owned by the same company that owns, strangely enough, Fox News. How about that, fans? You're right. Okay, thank you, fans. They said there's nothing going on in the field. There is no field. Thanks very much. But you know what the fans really like? News of the Godly. And we go back down under for this. I mean, to Australia. An 85-year-old priest from Victoria, Australia, has been sentenced to more jail time after admitting to further abuse of young boys in the 1970s. According to court documents, Gerald Ridsdale was ordained as a Catholic priest in 1961. He jumped, maybe he should be in the Olympics, from parish to parish in several cities, including Ballarat and Warrnambool, allegedly committing sexual offenses in each one.
0: What? he's
1: fair. Got to say, he's fair. He's been in prison since 1994, convicted of 179 offenses against 69 victims between the years of 1961 and 1988. Dozens of counts of indecent assault and child sexual abuse. Then uh, this week, the judge extended his sentence for at least another three years. Can't get out till 2025 at the earliest. The judge said the extended sentence may well mean that you speaking to the priest, as a consequence, more likely to die in custody, unquote. That'll teach him. Ridsdale pleaded guilty to 14 sexual offenses against four young male victims between 1970 and 1979, but he filled the decade. According to the uh, judge, one of his victims' families, and uh, oh, Ridsdale befriended one of his victims' families and frequently visited their home. That's called grooming, ladies and gentlemen, in case you haven't read up on it. Two other victims were brothers. In the hearing last month, the court heard that one of the victims, who was seven years old at the beginning of the abuse, never learned to read or write, because Ridsdale during the assaults would read to him. Ridsdale's defense said that when things escalated in one particular city, the priest knew he would be moved on to another parish. That's his defense. (laughs) You can imagine how bad the prosecution was. During his sent- original sentencing, the uh, judge said his conduct, quote, plummets to the depths of evil hypocrisy. And the judge criticized the Catholic Church for not taking action on complaints made about Ridsdale's known activities. Yeah, quote, the Catholic Church cannot escape criticism in view of its lack of action on complaints being made as to your conduct, the constant moving of you from parish to parish, providing more opportunity for your predatory conduct, and its failures to sow adequate compassion for a number of your victims. That was said by a judge way back in 2006. A um, Royal Commission investigation released earlier this month found that senior figures in the Catholic Church down there, I mean in Australia, including Cardinal George Pell, knew about Ridsdale's abuse and protected him. The commission said Pell should have done more to prevent sexual abuse and remove clergymen who were known to have committed such acts. Pell has denied knowing about sexual abuse In Ballarat churches while he served as a priest there in the 70s and 80s. The Guardian says the commission noted allegations that Pell tried to bribe a sexual abuse survivor from Ballarat named David Ridsdale into keeping quiet about his abuse at the hands of the priest Ridsdale. Yes, Ridsdale. Was Rizdale's uncle. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, the the, the crowd goes wild. Kind of wild. All right, thanks, kids.
0: A house is a very, very, very smart house.
1: Here's news for all uh, fans of Will I Am. He's a rapper. He was in the Black Eyed Peas. He uh, is now a tech guy because <laughs> Yeah, rapper to tech guy. Okay. He has a startup called Wink. It will be, uh, according to the register of the British Tech Journal, it will be pivoting to a sub- subscription model this week after um, they realized over at Wink Central that servers cost money to run. You're being a bit snarky at the register. Until recently, Wink's pricing model was, quote, pay once, use forever, unquote. Its core product is a smart home hub that allows users to control their devices from a central location. So you've got so many devices now. Well, how am I going to... Con- You'll use Wink. This is uh, accompanied, though, by a smattering of Wink-branded accessories, including cameras, sensors, and, of course... Light bulbs. The light bulb went off over his head, and he shot it down. This is uh, not sustainable as a business model, says the Register, for a service that incurs ongoing costs, primarily from servers used to power the cloud thing. It's not really a cloud. It's not really up there. It's down here. Not down under, but down here. So now customers will be asked to pay four ninety nine dollars a month to be able to continue to access their devices. They're smart only if you pay them to be smart, apparently. The company said in a blog post, Wink has taken many steps in an effort to keep your hub's blue light on. However, long-term costs and recent economic events have caused additional strain on our business. The firm warns that anyone who doesn't pay will cease to be able to control, control their devices via the company's app, voice control system, or API whatever that is, Wink will also disable ind- existing integrations with third-party services. They're going to bork it. They're going to b- brick it just because you didn't pay them. Uh, un- users are upset by this. we Run- register. Tipster describing it as a dollar and pounds move from will i am major source of the anger is a relatively short notice users were given just a few short days to register for the subscription service as well as the fact that users will effectively be paying to use something they thought they already bought rival hubs like samsung owned smart things and google's nest do not require a monthly subscription but you know will i am doesn't have their kind of money he has rapper money Wink launched its first hub <laughs> in 2014 and was promptly oh it was acquired by a Singaporean manufacturing firm Flex. Yeah, Flex acquired Wink uh, in 2015 for an undisclosed amount before being sold off to Will I am for 38.7 million dollars. You got to make that back somehow. Even Will I I mean Will I am knows that. It has a reasonably strong user base, says uh, the Register, with four million devices connecting to Wink's hubs, despite endemic operational problems, including outages, issues supplying units to customers and retailers alike, and a relatively sluggish development pace compared with its competitors. This is um, in the wake of Will Iams' failed and expensive smart cuff uh, smart cuff smartwatch widely panned for its grainy screen and lackluster software, prompting one reviewer to describe it as, quote, objectively the worst product I've touched all year. Another said it was, quote, so bad, I'm actually kind of impressed. And another reviewer called it, quote, a wearable nightmare. That sort of thing used to be confined to the fashion industry. Oh, but now, how else are you going to have a smart house? Wink if you got him. And now.
2: He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks
1: at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Not anymore. Oh, yeah. President. <laughs> President. <laughs> President Donald Trump is removed the Inspector General of the State Department. Now, this is a guy who's supposed to uh, look into and report on wrongdoing, malfeasance, at that uh, particular agency. And yet, he can be uh, appointed, he is appointed, and can be removed by the head of the department, head of the uh, executive branch in which that agency is located. So it's kind of a... Well, it's not uh, kind of a job you... Take if you want, uh, really lifetime tenure. It's uh, a guy's name is Steve Linick, and uh, oh no, this is this is really the surprise. He's been replaced by an ally, of Vice President Mike Pence. This is the latest in a series of moves against independent government watchdogs in recent months. Trump informed Congress of his intent to oust Linick, a Justice Department veteran appointed to the role in 2013, in a letter to the House Speaker late Friday night. Hey, we're not, you know, we're not paying attention in any case. You could do it on Saturday. You could do it on Tuesday. The president said he no longer had the fullest confidence in Linic. promised to send the Senate a nominee, quote, who has my confidence and who meets the appropriate qualifications, unquote. Those would seem to be in conflict, but no. The executive branch is required to notify Congress 30 days ahead of time if it intends to remove an IG. Democrats, you may be surprised to learn, were infuriated, saying he's trying to circumvent oversight of his administration. Looks to me like an oversa- uh, uh, an administration riddled with oversight. They overlooked this, they overlooked that. The move follows Trump's anger at being impeached, but it also comes as the White House struggles with the uh, virus thing. The head of the, the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Elliot Engel, said, I've learned that the uh, Office of the Inspector General had opened an investigation into Secretary of State Pompeo, who just happens to head the State Department. Mr. Linick's firing, said uh, Engel, amid such a probe strongly suggests this is an unlawful act of retaliation. Unquote. A Democratic, Democratic congressional aide said Linick had launched an investigation into specifically Pompeo's alleged abuse, sorry, misuse, of a political appointee to perform personal tasks for him and Mrs. Pompeo, State Department didn't respond to an inquiry about the allegation. Linick did play a minor role in the impeachment saga. He ferried a trove. <laughs> Anybody say that in actual conversation? He ferried a trove. No, but this is from Politico. So people ferry troves in Politico. He ferried a trove of documents to lawmakers that had been provided to the State Department by the president's then personal lawyer, and I think still personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani. So, you you know, you touch that thing, you're going to die. News of former Inspector General, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Oh, and here's something for the fans. Especially fans of the Olympics. It's news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole III. The fans are standing! Oh. They forgot to install the seats. For World Baseball Softball Confederation President Ricardo Fricari. can't imagine why everyone wouldn't want to be involved. That's the Associated Press talking. So the refusal of Major League Baseball and its Players Association to send top stars to the Tokyo Games has frustrated Fracari. Ooh. That's right down the middle. Now with the Olympics postponed and the current Major League Baseball season on hold, Fracari has the unexpected opportunity to make one final pitch. For the sport's biggest league. Considering the damages from the coronavirus, baseball needs the Olympics now more than ever to boost the sport's globalization expansion and mass appeal, he said, in an interview with the Associated Press. We need to make sure our sport doesn't get trampled over by other sports that are becoming more popular with younger audiences. Like, whoa. That's pretty popular. Right there, man. They got some good wood on that. And the bat, too. Uh, sports that are becoming more popular with younger audiences, he says, like trampling. The coronavirus is going to make us understand how important the Olympics are for baseball and softball. So it's, you know, it's performing in public service. The only Major League Baseball players permitted to play in the Premier 12 tournament last year were those not on 40-man rosters. The U.S. finished fourth and failed at its first chance to qualify for the Olympics. We all feel really bad about that. I know. Teams want to block players from participating in the uh, amateur sport. Have claimed in the past... They're... Oh! Good call. uh, Claimed they're unavailable because of nagging injuries. And MLB teams imposed pitch limits on their players. Yaw limits are yet to come. Fricari isn't interested in debating whether MLB teams are unfairly preventing their players from taking part in qualifying... He says it won't be good for the sport if the U.S. team doesn't make it to Tokyo. He added he is waiting for the right moment before talking. Whoa! Talking about the right moment. To uh, Major League Baseball. He's not alone. Former National League MVP Bryce Harper calls it a travesty that Major League Baseball refuses to send its top players to the Olympics. You're going to grow the game as much as possible, and you're not going to let us play in the Olympics because you don't want to lose out on money for a two-week period, he said? Okay, that's dumb. You don't want to have this kind of excitement? With the World Baseball Classic push back from 2021 to 2023, the Tokyo Games represent the sport's only major international competition for several years. The Olympics, despite everything, is still the biggest event on the planet, Fakari said. That's why soccer wants to be in it. It's going to help revive the profile of baseball worldwide. 2008 in Beijing was the last time men's baseball and women's softball were at the Olympics. After the IOC voted in 2005 to remove them, as separate bids, the two sports failed to return for the Olympics in Rio. Fakari consolidated the two sports into one confederation achieved reinstatement for the Tokyo games now we just gotta get some decent players there get them into the movement you know it's a movement and we all need one every day
3: beer here get your beer here
1: that's what Fox needs Those are Fox fans. That's uh, what we'll call them now. It's not fake fans. It's Fox fans. And now, news of the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. That's not really Arabic. I can tell you that. Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund, they're the same people who bought into Live Nation last month. They have now bought minority stakes in other American companies, some major ones, Boeing and Facebook. Yes, when Facebook spies on you, the Saudis will get reports. Maybe. $300 billion. $300 billion. Take it by Mark Zuckerberg. Outright. Investment fund has been buying minority stakes in companies around the world, taking advantage of market weakness in the uh, wake of the thing. They uh, have a big stake in Marriott. A small stake in Berkshire Berks- 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 Hathaway. They um, have a big stake in BP. So the next oil spill... It'll be their oil. That's convenient. City Book, a City Book, Citigroup, and Disney. They own me. Wow. Hey guys, lovely thing. Last month, the head of the fund, Yasser Al rumayan said the uh, fund was looking into investment opportunities in aviation, oil and gas, and entertainment. Well, they're kind of all like this. He said there would be a lot of potential for investment opportunities once the coronavirus passes. They also bought into Carnival, the cruise line, whose head is a a friend of Donald Trump's. Hmm. Also stakes in a bunch of oil companies. And, finally, Saudi Arabia's investment fund has a $2 billion stake in Uber. So, there is karma, after all. ¶¶
3: To be inside extra access tonight for mid-May
0: 2020.
3: Hi everybody, I'm Mike DeVere Barroso in my solarium. And I'm Pat Mungo in my garage. States and even foreign countries are loosening the COVID-19 lockups. And even reality TV is starting up again. And one producer thinks he's got a concept that's super right. For this moment.
1: Like everybody else, uh, we were sitting around the house, but uh I I wasn't watching TV. I was thinking TV.
3: is creative director of You Wouldn't Believe Productions. I'm
1: going what's a show that captures this moment so completely that could be you know busted for kidnapping, so to speak. And uh that's when it hit me the vase my wife was cleaning the den and right after that bing bang bonga boom what's the big controversy right now to emphasize safety with the virus thing or to get back to work and make
3: some money after a couple of days the title hit me like another vase your money or your life damien had the title but did he have a concept to go along with it
1: somebody on zoom put damien and me together
3: Jason Harbinger is CEO of the new Harvard
1: Channel. We started out with the mandate of doing highly educational entertainment uh, mixed in with highly entertaining education. Uh, But uh, Damien's idea was so electrifying, I immediately saw the potential of uh, helping us to fulfill another of our primary mandates, uh, which is uh, helping to pay the university's quite sizable bills. You know they d- they don't really have football, yeah, Grayson and I were burning up so much zoom time they were about to sue us for restraint of bandwidth. <laughs> he had guaranteed me the time slot he'd originally planned for the Harvard Channel's flagship show, The History of everything, so uh phew, the pressure was really on then two weeks
3: ago, they walked into a studio in Glendale.
1: It was the a studio where some of the most dangerous stunts for Fair Factor. Lived. Uh, I'm starting to talk TV talk, to Bitch. Um, people who choose money would spin a wheel to select an annual income for the next five years. And uh, each one is linked to an extremely dangerous stunt. Yeah, we actually got an insurance company to put a, a $2 billion life policy on whoever chose money, you know. They looked at the stunts, uh, like murder hornets, things like that. Uh, their actuaries flipped out, right? But the company thought it was uh, worth it for the publicity value. And what's in store for the contestants who choose their life? Well, it's like still pandemic time, right? Uh, So they go into like super lockdown, Uh, like the big brother, but without the other contestants. And and every day they get tested uh, with four different tests, you know, supervised by a celebrity doctor. Uh, Dr. Oz is definitely interested but uh, he he couldn't make the shakedown show they're in lockdown until the pandemic is declared over or until the show is canceled whichever comes first and 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 they get support from a celebrity therapist via zoom and uh, highlights from those sessions are part of every show probably just before the longest commercial pod
3: your money or your life is on schedule to premiere on the harvard channel next week assuming dr oz is available that crushes it for today. But inside extra access tonight comes motoring back tomorrow with the results of our latest IEAT poll. We asked which contestant on The Voice would you like to be self-isolated with, and the results will leave you speechless. Till then, I'm Pat Mungo and I'm Mike DeVere Barroso. So long from the heart of El Segundo.
1: Now more smart. We did uh, smart house earlier. Now, uh, smart world. And this is not necessarily the best news about um, those apps that are being created by our friends our friends in the tech industry to uh, help with the contact tracing. This is from New Scientist. The U.K.'s upcoming contact tracing app aimed at limiting the future spread of the virus may not be an effective tool to identify whether users have had close contact with someone carrying the virus which, of course, was the purpose of the app. It should not be seen as a panacea, according to a study of how Bluetooth signals work in real-world situations. Well, why would you be in... I mean, it's just the app, which is being uh, tested on the Isle of Wight. There is no festival, so it's just among the, the whiters. And due for nationwide release later this month, well, talk about warp speed. It was described this week by the government's COVID-19 recovery document as important to boost, quote, the speed and effectiveness of coriova- Coriolanus, no, choriovirus Coronavirus contact tracing. But two researchers at Trinity Co- Trinity College, Dublin, concluded it will be challenging to correctly record contacts because Bluetooth signal strength varies so much. Depending on which way phones are facing, whether a body is between two phones or ferns, and how much nearby materials reflect and absorb signals. This is for people who haven't noticed how goofy Bluetooth is already. Come on, man! Join me in the basement. The pair tested four scenarios walking around streets, at a meeting table in an office, on a train, and in a supermarket using android phones and a version of the tracing app from singapore trace together come on everybody let's trace together sounds like a clapping song to me generally proximity could be established while walking but at a meeting table the signal dropped by 38 percent if both phones were in pockets rather than placed on the table making it hard to tell if two people had come into close contact In supermarkets, it was hard to distinguish between two people correctly social distancing two meters apart and two people walking together closer. On trains beyond three and a half meters, the signal strength between two phones counterintuitively increased against expectations. This may be because the radio waves used in Bluetooth reflect off the metal surfaces inside trains or in supermarkets, making it difficult to interpret the signals. Further tests have found signal strength dropping by about a third... When someone with a phone in their front pocket, are you are you faced away from a second person carrying a phone, likely, because their body was absorbing some of the signal. Walls may pose a problem too. This sounds like 5G. Although solid cement or concrete walls hugely reduced the Bluetooth signal, stud walls had little impact on signal strength. Why do you think they call them studs? This means two people in adjacent rooms can erroneously appear to be in close contact, raising concerns over false alarms. As far as I know, these are the first public measurements from a range of real situations, says one of the researchers. They suggest that reliable proximity detection using Bluetooth is probably not going to be that easy. His work has been published online, but not yet peer-reviewed, and it concludes contact tracing apps are probably not a panacea. But a potentially useful addition to traditional contract tracing. It's not all clear at the moment. He says, "What level of errors an app can have and still be useful? We just don't know." So I guess we're just not that smart a world yet. But we're smart enough for the apologies of the week.
0: We're so
1: sorry. Well, it's almost like scouting is uh, another kind of religion. Scouting Ireland has issued an apology and accepted the recommendations put forth in a report that detailed instances of sexual abuse within scouting organizations in Ireland in the 1980s and 90s. But that was so long. Uh, This week, an independent safeguarding consultant published his historical sexual abuse in scouting report outlines the accusations, sexual assault and abuse in the scouting organizations, listing 12 recommendations for Scouting Ireland. Adrian Tennant, the chairperson of Scouting Ireland, told the press this week, 365, sorry, 356 victims and survivors have come forward to, to share their stories. We know of 275 known or suspected Perpetrators. The intention of the report, which was commissioned by Scouting Ireland three years ago, is not to allocate blame to specific individuals, but to fully acknowledge the mistakes that have been made previously with a view to drawing learning from them. Abuse did happen and was not responded to in a way that protected the young person or sought to hold the offender to account. There was cover-up and there was a failure to report. The full extent of this cannot be determined exactly, as records have been lost and destroyed. There appears to have been almost complete absence of any concern for the young people that were abused, where attempts were made to support them. This is poorly recorded. A characteristic of the poor governance that existed in scouting was the existence of a culture driven by self-interest, with little attention paid to the young people involved. Small cliques emerged and played too great a part in how the scouting bodies cooperated. Cronyism thrived and remained a significant problem in scouting, up to and including the reviewers' involvement with Scouting Ireland. Poor governance structures contributed greatly to the failure of scouting to consistently and comprehensively address abuse. Individuals who behaved badly were not held to account through robust and timely disciplinary processes. The introduction of an accountability framework was resisted. Aside from that, this is Lincoln... All good. Rose Salceda, assistant professor of art and art history at Stanford, apologized for using a form of the N-word twice in online courses. The undergraduate senate passed a resolution condemning her speech in both instances, one verbal and one in writing. Salceda was referring to the hip-hop group NWA, whose full name includes a version of the N-word. While the members of NWA are black, Salceda's critics at Stanford have said that she is not black and must be more sensitive about using the term or avoid it altogether. Many professors say using the full word is unnecessary for students to understand the meaning and impact. Others say not using it in literary, legal, or other contexts is a form of censorship. Salceda's division, the School of Humanities and Sciences, shared her public statement. In it, South explained her intention was to center the voices of artists who have made important social interventions. Yet I recognize the impact my reading of the N.W.A. Lyric and the posting of their biography has had on students, especially black students. I sincerely apologize for these actions and am committed to changing classroom practices. Unquote. Deadline Pittsburgh KDKA AM talk show host. Marty Griffin apologized after reportedly calling Pennsylvania Health Secretary doctor Rachel Levine Sir during a conference call with reporters. Levine, who is transgender, at one point told Griffin, please don't misgender me, it's really insulting. Griffin apologized and after the call said he was sorry via Twitter. I apologize. I apologized twice. I truly did. It was not intentional. It was not, I was not focused. I was doing six things at once. Sounds like he doesn't have an engineer. In a Twitter post this week, New Hope Club singer Blake Richardson made a public apology for a resurfaced tweet from 2015 in which the singer used a homophobic slur. Twitter users found and recirculated a now-deleted February 2015 tweet made by Richardson in which he wrote, We'll see this f." Blank G tomorrow. He started off by apologizing, not just for the tweet, but for his use of the word in general. I'd like to apologize from the bottom of my heart for the tweet ever existing. I promise you this is in no way a reflection of my morals or beliefs. He didn't know the meaning of the word when he used it back in 2015. I was young, and it was a thoughtless moment that I regret. As I've gotten older, I've learned the weight of words and it breaks my heart and completely devastates me, then an uneducated old tweet could be taken as a reflection of my character. Yeah, how could that be? Oh, Facebook apologized this week. No, not for that, and not for that. It's apologized for its role in the deadly communal unrest that that shook Sri Lanka two years ago. An investigation found that hate speech and rumors spread on Facebook may have led, may have led, violence against Muslims. The riots erupted as anti-Muslim anger was whipped up on social media, forcing the Sri Lankan government to impose a state of emergency and block access to Facebook. The uh, tech giant commissioned a probe into the part it may have played. Investigators said incendiary comment on Facebook may have led to violence against Muslims. We deplore the misuse of our platform, Facebook said. We recognize and apologize for the very real human rights impacts that resulted. At least three people were killed and 20 injured in the unrest, during during which mosques and Muslim businesses were burned. The hate speech and rumors spread on Facebook may have led to offline violence, according to a human rights consultancy hired to conduct the investigation. The Facebook Apology of the Week. Come back next week for the next one. Colleen Ballinger is addressing a controversial video of hers that recently resurfaced. On Tuesday, the YouTuber, all of 33, published a video in which she apologized to to fans for a sketch she made with her sister 14 years ago in which they impersonated Latinx women. Ballinger admitted that the since-deleted video was completely based in racial stereotypes. It's not funny, and it's completely hurtful. She said in the apology video, I am so ashamed and embarrassed that I ever thought it was okay. I was a sheltered teenager who was stupid and ignorant and clearly extremely culturally insensitive. Racial stereotypes are not funny. They're not a joke, and they should never be joked about. I'll grow from it and learn from it and realize how hurtful it can be, and now I want to right my wrongs and make a difference so that other people don't make the same mistakes that I made when I was a kid. She had a Netflix comedy special in 2019. Also apologized for her past body-shaming comments about a woman who once sat next to to her on a plane. Maybe teenagers shouldn't... Brian Adams apologized for his coronavirus tirade in which he blamed the pandemic on Chinese virus-making greedy bastards. He posted a video of himself singing on Instagram and wrote in the caption... Tonight was supposed to be the beginning of a tendency of gigs at Royal Albert Hall. But thanks to some F-blank, bat-eating, wet-market, animal-selling virus-making greedy bastards, the whole world is now on hold, not to mention the thousands who have suffered or died from this virus. He said his message to people was, Go vegan! But he's now apologized for his sweary rant. In another Instagram post in which he sings one of the songs he was supposed to sing, on his tour. Apologies to any and all that took offense to my posting yesterday. No excuse. I just wanted to have a rant. The original post is still up on his Instagram. Hasn't been deleted. He has turned comments off. Shut up, you guys. I don't want to hear that. Deadline, Susan City, California. Police officer in town is out of a job and the police chief is apologizing after a tense interaction with a resident. The officer is accused of using inappropriate language with a man while investigating a crime that the man was not involved in. (laughs) Okay, then. NBC Meet the Press host Chuck Todd apologized this week for airing a clip last Sunday of Attorney General William Barr's interview with CBS, which Todd acknowledged was misleading because of an edit that took Barr's remarks out of context. Todd and Meet the Press had come under heavy criticism for airing the clip, which made it appear that Barr had decided to drop charges against Mike Flynn for political reasons. After the clip aired, Todd said that Barr didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, there's a political job. Then, Tuesday, he said, while well, NBC was not responsible for the editing of the clip, Meet the Press should have checked for a full transcript. He called it a mistake I wish we hadn't made and that I hadn't made. The clip was aired on CBS. Oh, you can... Catherine Dennis, who has appeared on all six seasons of Bravo's reality series Southern Charm, apologized this week for sending a monkey emoji to an activist and radio show host while defending a local Charleston business owner for organizing a Trump boat parade. I want to acknowledge that using a monkey emoji in my text was offensive, and from the bottom of my heart... I sincerely apologize to anyone and everyone I hurt. Although the context was not my intention, there are no ifs, ands, or buts that excuse me. I did not give it thought, and it was and is wrong. I know I am not that person. I know and will do better. Bravo had no comment. Bravo the network, not the... Exclamation! The apologies of the week. Ladies and gentlemen, the copyrighted feature of this broadcast now. One more item in the Smart World Department. Be wary of medical scans enhanced by artificial intelligence algorithms. The software is prone to making tiny errors that could lead to incorrect diagnoses. A study has warned, according to the Register, some scientists argue that deep learning code could reduce the time spent conducting medical scans if the algorithms can automatically improve image quality for doctors and computer programmers to assess. However, findings published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences this week show the results are often flawed. Small details, like tumors, may be blurred or removed altogether during the so-called enhancement or unwatered flecks of noise may pop up, causing concern for doctors. There's been a lot of enthusiasm about AI and medical imaging. It may well have the potential to revolutionize modern medicine. However, there are potential pitfalls that must not be ignored, said the co-author of the study. Uh, who works at the University of Cambridge's Department of Applied Math. We found that AI techniques are highly unstable in medical imaging, so that small changes in the input may result in big changes in the output. Quote, we found that the tiniest corruption, such as may be caused by a patient moving, can give a very different result if you're using AI and deep learning to reconstruct medical images, meaning that these algorithms lack the stability they need said the researcher. The team believes that these unstable algorithms are not reliable enough to enhance medical images in a clinical setting. These algorithms are poorly understood mathematically. We have no guarantees on whether or not they are robust. The team hope their analysis will be used by others developing image reconstruction algorithms and by government agencies to ensure systems are up to scratch before they're approved for real-world use. There's that damn real world again. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now...
3: I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said.
1: Microplastics are everywhere. Including in our drinking water, table salt, and in the air we breathe. Having studied the scope of microplastics in a number of countries, researchers are worried, according to Fizz.org, Given the lifetime inevitable exposure to microplastics, we urgently call for a better understanding of the potential hazards of them to human health, says Dr. Elvis Ganbo-Ksu, an assistant professor of environmental technology at the University of Southern Denmark. Elvis has not left the building. There are many studies on microplastics, But in this one, he and his colleagues chose to focus on microplastics in table salt, drinking water in air. Microplastics have been found in many places, including foods such as honey, milk, beer, and seafood. But these are foods that you can choose not to eat, unlike salt, water, and air, which no one can avoid, he says. The lead researcher, Dr. Elvis, conducted a so-called meta-analysis, reviewing 46 existing scientific articles on the subject, looking for trends and patterns. They conclude that of the three sources of microplastic intake, the primary one is air, especially indoor air. When we inhale microplastics, the tiny particles can reach the lungs and digestive system. Nobody knows what this means for the human organism and our health. But as we're talking about a lifelong exposure, it is a cause for concern. There are no official guidelines for how much microplastics food may contain. No studies have defined values for when certain sizes or amounts of microplastic particles can be hazardous for humans to ingest. Animal studies Animal studies show that the ingestion thereof can disturb the metabolism and intestinal system. But, you know, breathe up, eat up, drink up is all good. Well, here in Southern California where I'm self-isolating, the uh, County of Los Angeles has both reopened the beaches and extended the self-isolation period. If you can make sense of that, well, you belong on, on, on the beaches where at least one of the cities in L.A. County has mandated that anybody going outdoors needs to wear a mask and the The result is that nobody's wearing a mask. Well, it's, you know, it's mandatory, but it's kindatory, if you know what I mean. That is to say, one police officer questioned about it said, well, that would be like uh, holding back a tsunami with my palm. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week's edition of the Show. Next week, same time, same station, and on your audio device of choice whenever you want it. Tip at the show chapeau to the San Diego desk as well as to Pam Halstead and Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans. The email address for this program, playlist of the music, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts all at harryshearer.com, and I'm on Twitter at theharryshearer. And that's that. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the changes easy radio network so long from the home of the homeless.